Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I don't know if Nate could have made this kind of change in a team if he had gone anywhere else. But they needed a veteran voice. A guy who had been there, done that, knew what he was talking about, and Trey really needed it because they played the same position, they could talk the same language, and Nate has said, Trey, I will meet you halfway. I'm old school, you're new school. We got to meet in the middle. He said, you are a Ferrari. You can do things that nobody else can do, but when the road is icy, even a Ferrari has to slow down. so much for checking us out here if you don't like that i think you're going to really enjoy my guest today we've got the crowd ultra q a and as always grant's ramp but before we get to today's guest i want to tell you that this podcast is brought to you by new works plumbing of sacramento and again thank you for those that have taken the time to contact me via social media or email about New Works Plumbing, I'm very happy that it's worked out for you. I thank New Works Plumbing for their sponsorship on this podcast. And again, thank you so much for taking the time and complimenting New Works Plumbing. Remember, all your plumbing needs, all of your plumbing repairs, their expert technicians are available to you 24-7. Just go online, newworksplumbing.com. That's N-E-W-W-R-X Plumbing. My guest on today's podcast has had an amazing broadcasting career. He just completed his 25th year of doing the Atlanta Hawks on television. Also done baseball with the Tigers, the Orioles, and for many years, the Atlanta Braves. Does college football, and he is a professional motivational speaker. The TV voice of the Atlanta Hawks joining me here on If You Don't Like That, Bob Rathbun. Bob, it's great to have you on. How are you, sir? Grant, I'm doing great, and it really is good to hear from you. Motivational speaking. All right, I got to hear more about that. What are some of the things you try to get across? Well, it's interesting how it started. I, like you, I'm sure, uh, we're asked to emcee every rubber chicken sports <laughs> banquet award <laughs> ceremony, right? Right. And I got intrigued. A, coach of, a coaching friend of mine back in Virginia was with the Yankees. Uh, for a long time, Mark Newman headed up their minor league operations, but he was the head coach, head baseball coach at Old Dominion. And he got me in, interested in it. He said, you know, you've done a lot of banquets and, you know, you ought to think about being the keynote speaker. You've, you've seen enough games and seen enough coaches and teams and what's successful. And that sort of 
got me interested in it. And then when I was here in Atlanta, there's a great, great business speaker and motivational speaker and author by the name of John Maxwell. And he lived here, had his own speakers bureau, writes a book about every two seconds. If you go down to you know, Amazon or Barnes and Noble, just Google his name, you'll see a thousand books. But anyway, he was, he's based here. He lives over in Duluth. And the guy who ran his speakers bureau was a big Hawks fan. So we got to know one another. He said, well, come on over. And so I visited him at the office and he let me sort of co-host with John, his monthly training seminar. And I would do the voiceover for that. And then I became one of John's speakers where I could go out and speak and use his material to promote his books. I was the kind of guy, Grant, when, when companies would call for John and John would tell them what he charged, <laughs> they would say, well, do you have anybody else? <laughs> right. And I was on the anybody else list. And so I would go and I would speak to these companies, had a blast doing it. And that's how it started. And so I just try to take the lessons learned just hanging around, you know, these games and all these times with all kinds of different teams, teams that have won, teams that have lost. What's work, what works and what doesn't work and what's applicable to the business world that you can take from the sports world. And that's that's mm. where I, I get it from. And of course, like you, I'm peppered all the time from young students who want to get involved and want to do broadcasting and give them advice there. So I wrote a book about that called The Fast Forward Winner. And that's sort of a guidebook as to how to maybe get started, not so much in broadcasting, but just uh, taking an idea and putting it through a six-step process and see what you come up with. You talk about young broadcasting. You had an amazing experience with the legendary Marty Brenneman, who just retired a year ago as voice of the Reds after 46 years. I've heard the story from you, and I actually had Marty on my show back in Sacramento before I left, and he talked about that story. But for those that are not familiar with it, let's hear that again, because to me, that is a fascinating story. Yeah. Well, thanks. I grew up in Salisbury, North Carolina. And when I was 12 years old, one Sunday afternoon, unprovoked by my parents, I just picked up the telephone and I called the little radio station in our town and I told the announcer on duty how much I love sports and how much I love the radio station. I listened all the time. And he said, well, young man, come on down and we'll give you a tour of the station. So my mom and dad took me down. And that began, Grant, for me in every Sunday ritual where I would hang out at the radio station. And about, I would about, do how old were you, about how old were you when that was going on? Well, okay. I was 12 years old. Okay. And I did what 12-year-old kids would do, which is take out the garbage and you know, get the guy a drink of water or whatever, run an errand. And one day, the sportscaster showed up, and that happened to be Marty. And he was just starting his career. He had just graduated from the University of North Carolina worked in TB in High Point, North Carolina for about six months and then came to Salisbury. And he said, well, if you like sports and you like radio, well, come help us broadcast these American Legion baseball games in the summertime. So I said, okay. So, you know, my mom and dad would drop me off and I'd go keep stats and I'd get Marty a hot dog and a Coke and, you know, just kind of hang out. And one night he said to me, well, are you ready to make your debut? And I said, well, I guess I am. And I got the mic in the bottom of the seventh inning of this baseball game. And we were a really good team. The whole town was turned on. That's why the games are being broadcast. And our first baseman, lo and behold, hit a home run in the bottom of that seventh inning. I'll never forget it, Grant, as long as I live. Joey Brown, big left-handed hitting first baseman, and he turns on one and drills it. 
and I got to call it. I have no idea what I said. But Marty got the mic back at the top of the eighth inning. And he said, ladies and gentlemen, I've been waiting all season <laughs> to call a home run. <laughs> and when we hit one, I've got some 12-year-old kid on the mic. <laughs> <laughs> and that's right. how it started for me. And the funny thing is, that little radio station, Grant, sent four broadcasters to the big leagues. Uh, incredible. And we were all there basically at the same time. Marty my, and myself and a guy named Warner Fusell has passed away. Uh, worked this week in baseball with Mel Allen, yeah. uh, Seton Hall, and did uh, the Denver Nuggets and Virginia Squires. And then another guy who went to my high school does racing and still does. A guy by the name of Doug Rice is the voice of the Motor Racing Network. And that's how it started. Well, Warner was our news guy at the time. And he called over to the police dispatcher. It was a female get the wrecks and whatever happened the night before. And she said, Warner, did you listen to the American Legion game last night? I said, yes, ma'am, I did. Well, who was that little girl Marty had on <laughs> in the bottom of the seventh inning? My voice was right. a little higher <laughs> at age 12. <laughs> right. And that's how it started from there. Wow. I, I hung out at that little station. It really turned around when I was 16 and I got my driver's license. And... Worked at the newspaper, covered my high school team. It was a daily paper. It was a great experience. Worked at that station forever and went to school full-time. Went to Catawba College and was there till 78 before I went to Virginia and started in Norfolk. But that's how it started hmm. for me. And it, it, Another thing, Grant, that happened really to both of us, Marty and myself and all of us at that station, for years and years from the 60s up until recently, the last couple of years, the National Sportscasters and Sportswriters Association was headquartered in Salisbury. And every year, they would throw out the red carpet and invite all these state winners, broadcasters and writers and the national winners into Salisbury for a two, three-day get-together where they would hand out the Sportscaster and Sportswriter of the Year. And so when I got my license, I was placed on the transportation committee, which was nothing more than going down to the Charlotte Airport and getting these guys and bringing them back. And so in the backseat of my car, I had all the legends, really, of broadcasting and, and sports writing. I mean, from, you know, guys like Jim Murray on the writing side to Lindsey Nelson, Chris wow. Schenkel, wow. Keith Jackson. All these guys are in the backseat of my car. And I'll never forget Lindsey. And you know how I used to dress sure. crazy on TV, right? So I said to Mr. Nelson, I said, uh, I'd like to do this one day. What advice do you have for me? He said, well, Robert, if you don't have any talent, Dress funny. <laughs> I love that. Oh, my gosh. How about that? Lindsey Nelson. What? What? Oh, my gosh. Your reaction must have been unbelievable. You Because, you know, you talk about Lindsey, you know, turning on the Cotton Bowl every New Year's Day just to see what he would be wearing was a treat, you know? <laughs> exactly. But I tell you what it did, Grant, yep. for me as a kid, it demystified the business. Because mm. these, these women and, and men were so nice. And so helpful mm -hmm. and so supportive. Well, they didn't have to be nice to me. I'm a kid driving them to their, you know, motel room. But they went out of their way to be helpful and nice. And so that's something I've always remembered mm -hmm. and tried to do myself when anybody asked me for help about getting into the business or critiquing tapes or what have you. Because I was 
so fortunate when I was starting out. You have been so fortunate in your career. Uh, Virginia Sportscaster of the Year six separate times, multiple times in the state of Georgia. You're in the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame, but any of us that have been in this business for as long as we have are going to have moments that we look back on and go, man, how did we navigate our way through that? And you had that in the early 90s when you had to replace Ernie Harwell in the Detroit Tigers booth. What was that period of time like in your life? Well, after doing minor league baseball, my and I did, had done baseball my whole life uh, and basketball growing up in North Carolina. But, you know, both of them, I both sports I loved. And I did minor league baseball for six, seven, eight years and got the call. Ernie Harwell and Paul Carey were leaving the Tiger broadcast after the 1991 season. And the guy, the director of broadcasting, a gentleman named Doc Stankel, called me just out of the blue and said, you're somebody we'd like to talk to. And I said, okay. Rick Riz, who is was before and is been back since, the voice of the Seattle Mariners on the radio. And he and I were chosen to be the broadcast team. Now, Rick was the number one, I was the number two, and we went to Detroit. And little did we know what we were getting ourselves into. Uh, it was a firestorm unlike anything probably that's happened in baseball before or since. I, I can't imagine. Usually it's just one guy that leads, but this time it was both guys. So it was a completely wide open booth. And we were going there. You know, we thought, oh, this is going to be great. We get to do the Tigers. And Rick and I knew each other from AAA baseball. And little did we know, Grant, that they, they didn't want us around. The media didn't want us. The fans didn't want us. They wanted Ernie Harwell. And it was uh, as miserable a time as you could have when you're just hmm. not wanted. And I said publicly, I said, you could put Bob Costas and Vin Scully in this booth and the people are going to riot. They just, they just did not want two new guys coming in from out of town. And it was against that backdrop. The team was sold three months after we got to town and all the people that hired us were fired. Bo Schembechler, Doc, Jeff Odenwald, all of them got canned three months. And, and the current owner, the Mike Illich and his family, have the, have the team and have had it ever since. We survived three years. Hmm. Ernie came back in 93 and joined us. But that even made it worse because it was like, the only reason I listen to the Tigers is to hear Harwell and the rest <laughs> of those two guys can go, you know, screw <laughs> off. So, right. so it made it even worse, you know. Uh, but in the end, in the end, you know, I, it turned out that I, I led me to Atlanta, where I have been so well-received and have been here 25 years. And at the end, you know, Ernie was great. God rest his soul. You know, he, he came back to us at the end. So, you know, I put you boys through hell and I apologize. Wow. And he called me and he called Rick and I, he had to get it off his heart. And mm. it was great. It was awful. I mean, it was awful. Opening day. At Tiger Stadium, then they got planes flying overhead, pulling the banners. You know, where's Ernie? Oh boy, oh, it was oh, it was unbelievable. And so we never had a moment's peace. Plus, you know, Sparky Anderson was our manager, and and he was just so great to us. The coaching staff, the player, everybody with the team was fine. It was the media and the fans, but. It was something. I'll tell you, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. It was it was tough. 
You talk about Sparky Anderson. I was just starting out in the business. I was working part-time at an ABC affiliate in Toledo, Ohio, and I went up there on a Sunday. It was the year that Tigers won the World Series and started off at 35-5, and and I was there on a Sunday game, and it was the uh, national game of the week. And I remember walking into the Tigers clubhouse, and when you walk in, Sparky's office is on the right, and it was just packed with people, and I couldn't get in there. So I went in, and I interviewed Alan Trammell, and I interviewed Parrish and one other guy. And I spent and then I'm walking out of the clubhouse and I look and nobody's in Sparky's office. And so I knock on the door and Sparky's sitting there without a shirt on. I said, hey, uh, I'm really sorry. I tried to get in here earlier. He goes, come on in. Come on in. And I will tell you this, Bob. I sat down in the chair and. Sparky goes, I haven't seen you before. Who are you? And I said, well, I'm just, you know, graduated from Bowling Green. I'm working part time in Toledo. And he said, hey, I'm happy to have you here. What can I do for you? And then he goes, hey, let me put a shirt on. Let me put a shirt on. Do you want me to put a shirt on? I go, no, it's okay. My photographer can shoot you from the neck up. He goes, no, no, no. Let me put a shirt on. And I will tell you, Bob. I later had him on my radio show shortly after I started in Sacramento, maybe around 95 or 96. And I told him the story and he said, I actually remember that story. And he goes, I've actually watched you because he's in California. And he said, you do a great job on the Kings games. And isn't it amazing what comes full circle a moment like that? And, And, you know, you were around Sparky every day. That guy could not have been nicer. Doesn't surprise me. (laughs) Not at all. Uh, and, and he treated everybody the same, whether you were the beat writers covering the team or, or the guy coming up from Toledo or somebody just, just dropping in. Everybody was welcome. He was magnificent and just, you know, obviously a, a great manager. But more than that, you know, just so down to earth. And he knew what we were going through. So he, he was really great to us. And I miss him. I, and I can't believe he's gone. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, he's just one of those legendary figures you, you just think's going to live forever. And it's just what a what a wonderful human being, a great ambassador for the game. And really, I, you know, it's one of those guys that you, you just wish you could reach back out to now and say thank you uh, for all you meant to me. The big red machine, when he managed that Cincinnati Reds team, I mean, you can look back at that era and you can make an argument that was the greatest team of all time. Oh, no doubt. He, he told I said I asked him about it all the time. He said, well, he said, Bench said to me, Johnny Bench, he said, Bench said to me, look, keep your feet out of the aisle. Don't trip us walking to the batting cage and we'll win this. <laughs> I love it. Oh, my gosh. That is <laughs> what a great line that is. Wow. Um, incredible. You know, so when you leave Detroit, when you go through an experience like that, when you look back at that, what, what do you think was the, the most valuable aspect of a bad experience that you took with you when you left Detroit? Well, I, I, I'd say the not letting it get to you and, and shake you in terms of you think you're a bad announcer, you know, that you can't do this. You know, I, I still, you know, was doing basketball and football and the people who were using me, I still worked grant for ESPN and later I worked for CBS. So it, it restored my confidence, I think more than anything that I could still broadcast the game, but it was, it scarred me. I I, even the 10 years that I did the Braves, it was like, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. I mean, that's how horrific it was. So I think the, the biggest lesson that I took away from it was that, you know, this was a, this was a mistake. You didn't know any better. You thought things were going to be, I've been loved everywhere I'd been. 
you know, in North Carolina. Are you kidding? I own that little town. And when I went to Norfolk, oh, my God, I was the king. Yep. And so you go to Detroit, you think it's going to continue. And then all of a sudden they tell you, you know, you stink. Get out of here. We don't want Southerners up here and blah, blah, blah. What do you, how dare you replace Ernie Harwell and Paul Carey? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, dude, I'm just coming up here to broadcast a baseball game. And so the takeaway was, you know, you, you could still do it, but, but it was scarring, no doubt. Growing up in North Carolina and having the opportunity, because I talked about this with both Tim Brando and Craig Bowlerjack recently on podcasts, because as you well know, they've done so much, you know, uh, college football uh, for CBS back then. And you did both the ACC basketball and the SEC football. And I'm curious, when you look back at those different times of your life, and you look at doing both, did you enjoy one more than the other because of where you grew up? Or, I mean, where you live now in Atlanta, gosh, SEC football and every, I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's a crossroads here because, you know, Georgia Tech's here. Yes. So you get the ACC and, and SEC with Georgia, et cetera. I'll answer it two ways because number one, ACC basketball was kind of in my blood, Grant, growing up in North Carolina. You know, when I first started, I was keeping stats on the, Wake Forest Network and the Duke Network as a as a high school kid. And so I got a chance. I saw my first ACC tournament game as a junior in high school in 1971. Hmm. And it turned out to be the last game that South Carolina played in the league. They left that spring. So, you know, ACC basketball, and this will be coming up, this will be my 34th year coming up in 2022 to do the league. So it's a big part of my life, always has been. SEC football is sort of an acquired taste because of living here. We started doing SEC games when it was, it's badly now, but it was Fox Sports South back then. And we would do an occasional Georgia game. And, and we had some, you know, before the ESPN took over, you know, we had a chance to do a bunch of different games. Then I did an SEC package for our network that ran nationally. And we ended up doing like seven, eight games a year. And that was so much fun. So the thing about the SEC grant is that every game's a big game. Like even if it's, you know, two teams that are not in the top 25, but say Mississippi State is playing Ole Miss, it's still huge. Right. You still got 60,000 people there because of the geographical proximity. These are rivals that have been playing forever. And there's no such thing as a bad game in the SEC, even with Vanderbilt. I mean, they were they would be quite competitive, at least the time, you know, that we had them. So the ACC was with me a long time. The SEC, since the last 25 years since I've been here in Atlanta, there's nothing like it. It's just the best of both worlds. Do you have a favorite venue to do SEC football at? If you could only do one game the rest of your life, which venue would you choose? Ooh, good call. Boy, LSU at night is pretty special. That's pretty special. Lots, lots of people overserved. <laughs> you know what? Tim Brando and Craig Bowlerjack, I asked the same question and they answered it the same way. They said LSU at a night. They yeah. Said that, that, but it's got to be yep. a night game. Yeah, that's what they said. It's got to be a night game. Day game, yep. day game does not have, have the same feeling. Uh, but I'd say any of these joints, uh, Grant, <laughs> are jolly. And I love going over to Georgia. Yeah. You know, we got a big game at Sanford Stadium. That's 83,000. And just loving the Bulldogs and into every every snap of the ball. So you can't go wrong, but there is really something special about LSU and Pat Rouge at night. 
you've had such an amazing career, and we'll get to the Atlanta Hawks in just a moment. But when you look back uh, as you are, what, 66, 67, is there an event that you've always wanted to do that you haven't had the opportunity? Yeah, the NFL. I've never done an NFL game. I've done hockey. I've done basketball, baseball, but I've never had the chance to, to do NFL. I just wanted to do somebody's preseason games, but I never had the chance. One of my best friends is the general manager of the Buffalo Bills, Brandon Bean. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've, I've got a lot of friends in football and uh, always wanted to do that. What How about, about you? Well, I was blessed to do the Raiders preseason games on TV for five years. I work with Jim Plunkett, and I've also been blessed to do the National Hockey League, filling in for the Sharks uh, and doing uh, TV play-by-play. And to be honest with you, growing up, I always wanted to be a hockey announcer, more so than basketball. I love hockey. Really? Yes, I love doing hockey. So I didn't realize you had done hockey. At what level had you done hockey play-by-play? Well, we, I, I filled in when I was in Norfolk. I filled in on the Caps time or two, but my, my radio gig was the Hampton Roads Admirals, a, an East Coast Hockey League team. And the next time we see each other, you'll see me wearing a ring for that hockey team that won the championship. They're an expansion team. They began the minor league hockey revolution that you now see in the country today. The guy who owned it just recently passed away about six months ago. Is a very big executive in baseball, a fellow by the name of Blake Cullen. He uh, was assistant manager, general manager of the Cubs, ran the National League office for Chubb Feeney, headed up the umpires, then later worked in the commissioner's office. But when Giamatti came in, got rid of uh, the whole team, and so Blake was out of a job and owned several minor league teams, minor league hockey and soccer and tried it. But he came to Norfolk and put $25,000 down to, to get an expansion team in the East Coast Hockey League and turned around and sold it for $3 million Wow! when he was done. Had one coach the entire time, the legendary John Brophy. If, if How you about know, that? Yes, of course. You know your hockey. Yeah, yeah. I know you would know the name. Yes. Wow. Coached the Maple Leafs for a brief time, but yes. a legend a legend in the minor league. Wow. And Brophy was his only coach. He said, I will sell the team before I fire John. <laughs> That's incredible. Wow. Yep. They, they had that kind of relationship. And we won it the third year in existence. And I got to call all those games. So I did my league hockey for three and a half years before I left to go to the Tigers, as a matter of fact. You know, it's interesting. I get in these conversations all the time with people like yourself that have done multiple sports and people that – have not done hockey that don't even really know that much about hockey. They've always said, gee, that has to be so hard. And actually I didn't find hockey to be that difficult. And the reason for that is I love rhythm sports. I love getting into a groove. I love getting into a tempo and hockey is so conducive to that as is basketball football to a degree, but I always thought, and I've never done out of all the sports, Bob, I've never done baseball, but I've always thought that would be the most difficult sport to do because of all the downtime and all the storytelling. What's your input on that? No, the faster, the easier. Exactly. Don't that's my point. 100%. That's why I never, and again, I'm not, I always loved doing hockey and I always thought it was my best sport because of the rhythm and the speed of it. I, I'm with you. I never had an issue doing that. Baseball, I don't know if I could do baseball, Bob. I mean, I really mean that. I think that would be very difficult to do such a slow sport. Well, I must say, Grant, the game that I watch today occasionally is nothing like the baseball I started broadcasting mm-hmm. 
I mean, come on. Everything is a walk, a strikeout, or a home run. It's terrible. The shift, it's awful. Yep. And it lasts forever. It's awful. Terrible. Um, you know, talking about a game that needs a shot clock. <laughs> yes, it's awful. Uh, but, yeah, baseball is the ultimate challenge. And I think that's why baseball announcers, the, the greats, are, are revered. So, you know, the Scullies, et cetera. Because you can, you can just keep that conversation going. I mean, Vinny worked alone, for God's sakes. And uh, to keep that conversation going for three hours plus every night with the research and the stories and the background, boy, it, it's a challenge. There's no doubt about that. Just to be transparent here, I do rants every day, and I got on Rick Carlisle several times because I thought his comments regarding the Atlanta Hawks' decision to fire Lloyd Pierce and call that move insane was just really wrong on his part. Nate McMillan took over March, I believe, 2nd and turned around that team. What was the biggest input that he had? What was the biggest impact that he made on that Hawks team? Grant, as, you know, we were on the outside looking in. You know, as you know, we didn't have a chance to travel. I just got back to the practice facility for the first time in over a year with Nate's press conference last week. So not being around him intimately like I normally would be, I can't say this with great certainty, but watching, listening, seeing how the guys reacted and knowing the ones that had been there the year before, especially the young core, I would say that the big difference that Nate made is – He taught them respect. You're going to respect the game. You're going to respect your teammates. You're going to respect whoever the head coach is. And you're going to respect your opponent. You're going to learn to play this game professionally. Now, not so much the veteran guys, not Gallinari and Bogdanovich and those guys that have been around. But he was mainly trying to influence this young core, the Trey Youngs, John Collins, Herter, Hunter, Reddish, etc., to try to get them to that next level. And Grant, you've seen this happen before, but he's the right guy at the right time for this right group of players. I don't know if Nate could have made this kind of change in a team if he had gone anywhere else, but they needed a veteran voice, a guy who had been there, done that, knew what he was talking about, and Trey really needed it because they played the same position, they could talk the same language, and Nate has said, Trey, I will meet you halfway. I'm old school, you're new school. We got to meet in the middle. He said, you are a Ferrari. You can do things that nobody else can do. He said, but when the road is icy, even a Ferrari has to slow down. Mm. You have to play the fourth quarter like it's the game's on the line. You can't play it like it's the first quarter. So I I just think, Grant, it was the perfect match for what Nate, you know, kind of lived and believed in and the way he wants to run a team and a bunch of guys who were ready like sponges to start listening and winning. I'm a huge fan of Bogdan Bogdanovich, and again, I've been on record as saying Me I, too. I, I can't understand why the Kings just let him go for nothing, but he, he really was incredible for the Hawks, wasn't he? Can you imagine him on Milwaukee? Oh, boy. Wow. They'd never lose a game. No, the series would be over already. I mean, they'd never lose a game. Right. You kidding me? No, we are so blessed to have him, Grant. What a player. 
and you know, like you, I'm sure when you see guys in the East just a couple of times a year, you don't really have a feeling. Correct. But then when you got them every day, it's like, holy cow. I mean, this guy's 28 years old and he is just now starting to hit his prime. And he's got that wealth of international experience behind him. He fit in like a hand in glove. And that was also a change, Grant, that, that Nate made was to get him coming off pin downs and, and, and making it so that he could come off screens and get open looks. The quickest release I've seen in a long time, for as accurate as he is, he was, he was fantastic. And if he doesn't get hurt, you know, he would have had a tremendous year. But he missed 25 games right at the start with the knee, had a little fracture in his knee. And then he banged knees in the Philadelphia series, and that limited his effectiveness some. But, boy, what a player. We are blessed to have him. You work with one of the real true legendary figures in the history of Atlanta sports and Dominique Wilkins. What's it like being around him every day? I will tell you a quick story. I have been with Dominique as a high school, when he was a high school player, a college player, an NBA player, and now as my television partner. I called one of his high school games. Wow. The team that I was broadcasting, Salisbury High School, played Washington, North Carolina, his team, his junior year in high school. They were like 73 and one in the three years he played. And we, as they say in divorce proceedings, we were the party of the second part. <laughs> oh my. We got, but what a team. So I got to do him there. When I was at Old Dominion, we played Georgia in the NIT. And I got to broadcast the Dominique Wilkins college game at Georgia. It was at Stegman Coliseum. And then at the end of his playing days in the pros, I got to do him at San Antonio and Orlando when he's with Gerald. And, and then with me as our partner, I think we've been together now 11 years. We just finished our 11th year. So we have been together a long time. He is the same off the air as he is on the air. One of the nicest human beings that the good Lord's ever put on this planet. Never met a stranger, signs every autograph, and tells the best stories. Mm -hmm. Steve Holman said that sometimes he'll tell the stories when you have guests on the plane over and over and over again. I said, well, Steve, you know, because he's heard the stories, you know, for decades. I go, hey, just put some, you know, noise-canceling headsets on if you don't want to hear the story over and over. <laughs> but he says Neek just loves telling his stories. And that's pretty much what you just said. He loves sharing his stories. Oh, he does. It's really one of the fun things to watch him interact because – so many times, you know, sponsors are with us at the hotel or at the game or what have you, and Hawks fans have come up to them. They're in the game that goes by that there's not somebody wearing number 21 in the Hawks jersey in the crowd. Just Great. one of those amazing guys that just, you know, he hadn't, he hadn't played in, you know, 30 years. And still, everyone just loves him and respects him so much. Well, congratulations on your amazing career and just completing your 25th year as the TV voice of the Hawks. I will miss seeing you on the circuit, my friend, and I, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. Well, Grant, we all miss you, buddy. You know that. You know how we feel about you. We wish you nothing but the best. We hope oh, we know something even better is going to work out for you. I really appreciate those comments from Bob. Hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Time now for our Crowd Ultra Q&A. Just go to CrowdUltra.com, sign up, takes a minute. Maybe I'll answer your question right here on the podcast. Aaron wants to know, what athletes have you found most inspiring? 
Well, in the last 12 months, I would have to say Alex Smith. When you look what he went through, when you look at all the operations, the fact that it looked like he was going to lose his leg, and then to come back and play again for the Washington football team, I was inspired by that. I think anyone would be, don't give up, persevere, uh, and he did that. I thought that was a phenomenal, phenomenal, inspiring story. Jackson wants to know, hey, Grant, do you think Otani respects the game similarly to what you said about hockey players? Jackson, I've never been around uh, Shohei. It's tough for me to say, but watching how he goes about his business and how he's accessible to everyone, yes, uh, it seems to me that he has great respect for the game. Very good question right there. Neil wants to know, do you think college athletes who are getting paid will leave for the draft less often? I don't think so because the money we're talking about when you get drafted and sign a contract uh, is humongous. So I really don't think it's going to have an impact there. Robbie asks, what do you think of owners like Jerry Jones who get involved in team decisions? They don't win. Owners need to stay out of team decisions. Owners who are meddlers don't win. Owners who think they know what they're talking about, ultimately, when you get right down to it, don't. Okay? Now, Jerry Jones does have a football background, but he has gone wacko, in my opinion. I don't think he's done much for the Dallas Cowboys since Jimmy Johnson left. Yes, I know Barry Switzer won a Super Bowl, but he did so with Johnson's players. Again, owners who feel like they are necessary in team decisions, it's an embarrassment. Trust me on this when I say it's embarrassing, okay? Trust me when I tell you this. Owners that get involved in teams' decisions on personnel and things of that nature, it's embarrassing. And I'll leave it at that. Alan wants to know if you could have played a sports professionally, which sport would it have been? Probably hockey. I love playing hockey, uh, and I would have played professional lacrosse. They didn't have it when I was coming out of college, uh, but those two sports for sure. Nick wants to know what gets worse ratings, the NBA playoffs or new Space Jam? Not educated on that. Can't comment. I wish I could comment, but I can't. Keith says, do you think JaVale McGee and Keldon Johnson are weird selections for the Olympic team? Listen, I don't really think it matters. I mean, if the best players on Team USA play to their capability, they're going to win the gold medal. I really believe that. Mr. Wolf asks, is the NBA more focused on entertainment than playing the game right? Well, entertainment is key. There's no question about that. But no, I think they're more focused on playing the game Right. I really believe that. Mark wants to know if you watched any of the United States men's national team in the Gold Cup. I have not. Sam asks, what's your take on the NFL working on a strategy to identify vaccinated players at practices and games? Yeah, they're trying to. You know, I know Michael Irving came out, ripped the Cowboys, and I can go on and on. Uh, yeah, they are. They're trying to protect themselves. They're trying to protect their product. I mean, you look what's going on around the world with COVID cases. You look at players uh, already uh, in the NBA. You look at players in Major League Baseball. You know, last week, the Yankees-Red Sox game postponed on Thursday night because six Yankees out with COVID protocol. Already a couple of Olympians are out testing positive for the virus. It's serious. Joe says, are you surprised that Novak Djokovic is participating in the Olympics? Not at all, Joe. Not at all. You know, in 2016, he lost in the first round. 
He was embarrassed. Vladi Dibac, who was the head of the Serbian Olympic Committee, told me that Novak came up to him and apologized, that he felt that badly, that he let down his country. No, I think Novak's been counting down the days. Uh, so, no, I am not surprised at all. And I give him a lot of credit. I really do. He's the number one. And he was the number one player in the world when he lost in 2016. And here he is again as the top player in the world. And he's going to participate in the Olympics. I give him a lot of credit. Corey on that says, will the Olympics have low viewership? It's going to be weird without any fans there, without the spectators. That's going to be weird. And if, if athletes start using the Olympics for their political statements, yes, the the viewership will be hurt dramatically. I'm hoping that does not happen. Alex says, have you noticed how many ads and how little analysis there's been during the finals halftime report? Alex, stay tuned for Grant's rant. Rich asks, should the Kraken take price from Montreal since he waived his no movement clause? I would, you know. The, the Vegas Golden Knights took Mark andre Fleury, and look how good they've been. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Price is a hell of a goalie. Yes, I would seriously uh, consider that. Zach wants to know, did you watch any of the Open this weekend? I watched all of it. I was very unimpressed with Royal St. George's. Uh, it has no character to me. Yes, I know the conditions were pristine and ideal, but that course doesn't do it for me. And I, I went over, and again, I haven't played golf in England, but I played in Scotland two years ago. The the character of those golf courses that I played, Turnberry, Royal Troon, Carnoustie, St. Andrews, Muirfield, much more character than what I saw from Royal St. George's. I did watch the entire tournament, but I was not impressed at all with the course. Not at all. Uh, Casey says, what's your opinion on the MLB, MLBPA Domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse of policy. Casey, I'm not familiar with it. I'm really not. I, I wish I could comment more on it. Maybe you should expand the question. I think all policies that deal with these type of atrocities are, are good. Now, I do think that our sports leagues are too lenient in how they deal with these things. I know it's collectively bargained, but I don't know enough about the MLB's policy uh, to really comment on that. Hey, if you want to ask me a question, just go to crowdultra.com. Take some minutes, sign up. And I thank those of you that have taken the time to ask me a question. It's time for Rant. Today's rant is brought to you by New Works Plumbing of Sacramento. For your plumbing needs and repairs, just go to newworksplumbing.com. That's N E W. WRXplumbing.com. So I wasn't even aware of this because I don't watch. But then I saw the report after game four of the NBA finals that ESPN's halftime show had 12 minutes of ads and one minute of actual analysis. So again, why does Maria Taylor need a contract like Stephen A. Smith between eight and $12 million a year? Adrian Wojnarowski, Jalen Rose, who are the analysts, Taylor is the anchor. You're telling me, and I did because I went back and I watched it, one minute of actual analysis. Here's the bottom line if you're ESPN, okay? Nobody is watching ESPN's analysis when you are used to watching the shows on TNT with the great, and I do mean great, Ernie Johnson, Kenny Smith, Charles Barkley, and Shaquille O'Neal, all right? You can't compete with that. Yes, TNT's done after the conference finals, But why would you watch Maria Taylor 
Adrian Wojnarowski and Jalen Rose. Seriously. And, and again, I don't really have anything against any of those individuals, but the point is, like, what are they going to tell you in terms of analysis that you don't already know from watching the freaking game? But 12 minutes of ads and one minute of actual analysis, you know what they call that? Embarrassing. That's what they call it. I don't know if it's ESPN just trying to cash the check and hiding their talent or if there's more to it, but that is embarrassing. It really is. And that's my rant for today. And that's my podcast for today. Thank you so much. Hey, if you're listening via Apple Podcast, it would really uh, mean a lot to me if you would rate the podcast. And if you feel it's five stars, uh, that would mean a lot to me. Leave a comment. I do read all the comments and I thank you. And don't forget to check out my video rants as well over on YouTube. And as always, thank you so much for listening. If you don't like that with Grant Napier. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.